Welcome to MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the truth behind medical research with unbiased, evidence-proven facts, powered by Encore Research Group and hosted by cardiologist and top medical researcher, Dr. Michael Corrin. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Corrin. Hi, I'm Dr. Eric Schramm. And Eric and I have been having this fabulous conversation about cannabis, and we've had three previous sessions where we covered a lot of the nuts and bolts. And so now we want to talk about the future. And um, I'm a clinical trial guy. I'm a research guy. You're a research guy. Right. And so we always like to let our audience know what's going to happen in the future and also what's the evidence for the information that we're providing them. So we alluded to the fact that the endocannabinoid system has been studied in clinical trials, and we've learned a lot, that you have a lot of clinical experience and certainly have helped a lot of people. And the question is, is how we take all this information and standardize it. So we know that this works more often than not for this type of patient. So I want to get into that with you. And of course, part and parcel of that is the government. Right. And how they're regulating this. Right. And that probably at this point just makes it more difficult to look at this from a scientific standpoint. But um, it is what it is. And I'm very curious to see how that might change and what's on the horizon for this type of research. So why don't you start us off by explaining this concept of um, why cannabis was illegal previously and why you can use it now and and those concepts about, uh, quote, drugs that are scheduled. Right. So first of all, scheduled one drug is a drug that has no recognized medical use and a high uh, index or potential for abuse. Okay. And in that context. Example this, of that. Like LSD, heroin, um, okay. you know, mushrooms, mm-hmm. psychedelics. So there's um, those are your classic Scheduled One drugs. That was the Controlled Substance Act of 1970, which mm-hmm. a lot of people you know, is, are familiar with. And so what that did, it basically puts those products, those drugs, those compounds into a sort of prohibition. Mm-hmm. And out of that, it has made, you know, and, and that makes it very, from a research perspective, very challenging because mm-hmm. it's to be able to do meaningful uh, quality research on cannabis or any Schedule One, um, there are a lot, a lot of hoops to have to jump through, right. and that includes the DEA, the FDA, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, research, a lot of that research has gone overseas. So mm-hmm. there are, you know, when we see the research papers, they are they are forthcoming. A lot of that has moved to be overseas. Um, they, the government, had for a long time very interesting one single farm in Mississippi where all the investigational marijuana joints were uh, were produced really? and are produced. That's right. Then uh, one- They had a special license yes. from the government? Yes, absolutely. So they mm-hmm. carved out um, and uh, it's still there. It's in Mississippi. So mm-hmm. they, that's the government's version of uh, of this. Uh, and so this gives you an idea of but kind of the culture. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's certainly been a big, ha- has hampered, uh, you, know, you know, a lot of issues keep- uh, people getting in and doing this research, not to mention that, you know, as you know, p- when people or uh, people get into doing in the scheduled one or scheduled two space, uh, because people say, well, hey, isn't all these cannabis places, aren't they, they must be making a, a killing, right? Yeah, right. Uh, money hand over fist. And then I'll mm-hmm. say, well, the trouble is, if you're going to do business in Schedule 1 and Schedule 2, you don't get any tax breaks. And right. so they're paying— So just explain to people what Schedule 2 is versus Schedule 1. So as you get less scheduled, then it's more accessible, and so less restricted. And Schedule 2 are going to be— Cocaine your, would be Schedule 2? Cocaine is Schedule 1. 
Well, cocaine is used medically. Well, it's yeah. they, but historically, most of the common Schedule Twos are going to be your narcotics and your uh, and stimulants, amphetamines like your okay. Adderall derivatives and things okay. like that. So, because um, there is a medical indication for cocaine, right? For yeah, yeah. For, for, yeah nose, uh, bleeding noses, right? Things like that. Ironically, yeah. so uh, <laughs> but the problem. So if you're if the high tax burden on companies that do business with schedule mm. one or schedule two. So the mm. cannabis companies aren't necessarily making a killing on this. Mm. And so if you can, you know, if they were no longer scheduled one, then it opens up the potential for people who are considering investing. Uh, it opens it up to banking and mm. uh, opens it up to- And just for the audience, company. schedule three, what, what type of drugs are those? Um, schedule three is going to be along the lines of ketamine, testosterone, Tylenol coating, buprenorphine. Mm. And that was the the big news over the summer was that the administration had sent an application to the to the uh, DEA for rescheduling cannabis from mm -hmm. one to three, mm -hmm. and would be very possible in the next twelve months that that might occur. Okay, schedule four, um, Xanax, sleeping pills. Mm -hmm. Okay, along those lines. I think there's a schedule five as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm not sure what those are. Okay. But there's those something are just everything that. else? Anything else. Uh, those are, say, quote, drugs that don't need any special consideration. Right. Is that right? right? And I think a lot of the, but the trouble is I think when people look at that and say, well, look, you can't kill people on cannabis, so you put it down as a Schedule Three, and, mm. you know, and so, uh, you know, what gives there? You know, so mm. it's just, it's it, it is not currently likely that cannabis was going to be descheduled in which mm -hmm. people would hope that it'd be quote, you know, decriminalized and, mm -hmm. you know, then it would just be, you know, adult use or what have Right. You. Right. Now there are cannabis products that are on the market that are manufactured by pharmaceutical companies, as I understand it, for cancer pain and things. Um, any comment about that? Right. You know, so, you know, these products have been out there, Marinol, and they're all derivatives. They've been around forever, mm. uh, but they're primarily being used for nausea and vomiting or uh, anorexia associated with- And they're Schedule 2, I assume, uh, similar to narcotics? Not sure how, that how they're scheduled on that. Okay. Probably something along those lines. Okay, yeah. well, we'll look that up and put it in a show note. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and um, Sativex and some mm. of the other products that are being derived- uh, are being developed uh, are on the are cannabis based, and they're more recently the, being that. But All right, so so talk about the research. What what do you predict? What's going to happen over the next five years? That's a great question. Um, and one of the things uh, that I've looked at is, um, and I mentioned how you know, I, you know, the big pharmaceutical companies mm -hmm. have invested a lot, mm -hmm. and they, you know, the the top five uh, patents in in terms of cannabis uh, is amongst the big pharmaceutical companies. And I mentioned Pfizer's purchase of a, mm -hmm. uh, they bought Arena Pharmaceutical uh, of 2021, and they're very much interested in their product. So, mm -hmm. you know, if the tax burden is lifted and the regulatory burdens are lifted because they're no longer having to be uh, comply with Schedule 1 and Schedule 2 requirements, then this seems that this would be an ideal opportunity for whether it's going to be big pharma or you know uh, you know big in investors big investors to come in and 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 get uh, into this space but it seems that it's going to be an opportune time because as you know we we both know that if 
you know, it's one one thing to do a study. Mm-hmm. Anybody can do a study, but if mm-hmm. you really want to do a good quality study, a large, mm-hmm. you know, randomized placebo-controlled study, mm-hmm. you know, it takes a lot of resources for mm-hmm. that to happen. Okay. So that seems like that could definitely be on the horizon. Right. And and for all of the controversy about big pharma in terms of of high drug prices, you have to give them credit for spending a lot of money to learn things. So we're all fortunate that big farmers are willing to invest a lot of money so that we actually understand evidence. We understand the truth behind the data. And so we we use that in our day-to-day decision-making for our patients. And the fact that uh, pharmaceutical companies are getting into the space should allow us to know a lot more about how cannabinoids work, how they can be deployed most effectively and safely. So I I think we have to at least tip our hat to big pharma for that. Yeah, no, I think... think any, I think once that space opens up, I think we're all going to get a lot out of that. Mm-hmm. I think the challenges have been, you know, historically in, in research that, you know, a, a, a compound is developed um, as and it has a action at a single receptor. So we're looking single compound and a single receptor. And, you know, marijuana really doesn't fit that model. It's, it's multiple components. Mm-hmm. And so how to navigate um, products um, how 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 to get into that space that accounts for all the different different components of that the terpenes and the the different mm-hmm. cannabinoids that are out there not just CBD but CBG CBN all the different variations of cannabinoids that are out there it's 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 a great space in terms of the science because there's so much to to learn from that right but, that's a really interesting point so yeah I, you know I've had conversations in the past, you know, especially when, you know, in the old days when I was a single guy and meeting somebody at a bar and I, I would ask her if she would want uh, a beer or wine or a hard drink. And she might say, well, I only drink vodka because otherwise I get a headache. And I would always be skeptical about that saying, well, alcohol is alcohol. Uh, if you get a headache from alcohol, it shouldn't really matter what you're drinking. That was the, my, you know, the scientific thinking. And maybe that's not necessarily true. Maybe there are other components of these things that are more holistic, but that could also be studied. So we can certainly do studies where we look at one strain of marijuana versus another strain of marijuana and see whether or not one is better than the other for whatever the particular diagnosis is. So this gets in the concept of what you're mentioning in terms of a receptor and a chemical for receptor versus the interaction of all the different ingredients for product. Right, and that's actually called the entourage effect. So if you read uh, much in the cannabis space, you often hear that talked about the entourage effect. And that is true because the the benefit, the efficacy of the plant is much greater from its total rather than just the individual components from mm-hmm. it. But ultimately that could be studied as well yeah. based on the, the study design. So, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so um, do you, what, what are your predictions in terms of um, where your particular niche develops? Is this gonna become something that family physicians become more comfortable with, more involved with, or do you think it's going to remain a more established subspecialty? Okay, that's a great question, and I give that a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, my answer to that question is going to be that if it is rescheduled, that there's going to be greater access, and mm-hmm. that's the reason why they're doing it, mm-hmm. and then be able to actually prescribe cannabis. Now, my experience having spent a lot of time um, doing physician outreach and talking to physicians is that, uh, you know, most physicians really don't know very much about the endocannabinoid system. And I graduated med school in 2000, didn't learn anything about it, even right. though 
in the 1990s, they were really understanding a lot of the endocannabinoid system, but I didn't learn it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it'll take, um, if, it, if it ends up scheduled three, then it means that it could be tested on the boards. Mm-hmm. And that will compel then for, you know, we look at our, our teaching institutions, say, okay, well, look, now we have to incorporate cannabis as part of the, you know, that medical education. So, I mean, and but that's going to take probably another five years, 10 years, I don't know. Right. So eventually, yes, I think it'll get to a point where um, patients will be getting prescriptions, but at least up front, I foresee it as still being, I mean, I consider myself as, as a little bit of a specialist, right? Mm. And, you know, so there's, you know, I think a lot of physicians that I speak to and, and, and work with see it, see it in that fashion. So I think more immediate, yeah, I think it's going to be looking more like a specialty, but eventually I'd hope that would open up to, to broader Interesting. And my other question is, do you predict that the dispensaries will be more regulated in terms of having to disclose exactly what's in their products? So, you know, for example, one of the standards of the pharmaceutical industry, uh, both over-the-counter and prescription, is that there is an accurate list of ingredients. Mm-hmm. So if you buy cold medicine, it could have more or less antihistamine, more or less uh, ibuprofen or acetaminophen, etc. But it's a, a law that requires that this product has this proportion of things, and it's sold as that product. Right. Now, my understanding is that the dispensaries aren't aren't quite there yet with with that. Or am I wrong about that? Or so is that regulated, or will it become regulated? In this state, um, every product um, that is sold in a dispensary has to go through a certificate of analysis, okay. and that is rigorous. Mm-hmm. So they're testing at least probably for fifty different things, including you know contaminants. Um, you know, insecticides, um, and then they test the integrity of the product. So is the product have what it says it has? Mm-hmm. And is it the THC level? And they do, uh, are the terpenes present? So, you know, when patients ask me about the safety of products, let's say somebody says, what about vaping? You know, mm-hmm. is, is a vape safe? And I'd say, well, if it's coming from a medical dispensary, I'd feel much more comfortable to say, okay, that's a, that's a, that's a reasonably safe product because it's been tested. But it's things on the street. Same with CBD. I'll say, well, look, if you're getting something on the street or at the uh, at the uh, gas station, you know, you, hey, you know, you're on your own because that stuff isn't being tested. So mm-hmm. I feel very comfortable with the products that are people get that people are getting through the state. Okay, the dispensary. That's why, like, I when patients come in because you know I would uh, and I, I joke a little bit with some of my patients and say, let's say. Um, getting back to like the old school days, right? And I said, okay, remember, you know, when you were a kid or in high school or whatever, you know, you're, you know, the the strength of the marijuana back in the day, you mm-hmm. know, uh, in the 60s, 70s and 80s, you know, was about a you know, single digit, five, 7% THC. And mm-hmm. so I'll tell a patient now, I say, look, if you go in and buy, you know, a marijuana joint, you know, that percentage is going to be 18, 20, 25%. Mm-hmm. And I, especially for my older patients, they'll say, look, this isn't like the good old days. So you mm-hmm. really, it does not take much. Mm-hmm. And these products, um, especially, you know, related to the purity of the products and the potency of the products, um, you know, can't be, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to underestimate that. So yeah. I always tell patients, I'll say, well, look, this is why you got to really start off with low dose. But yes, so these, the products in this Florida dispensaries are vetted. And if they, you know, a lot of this is grown in greenhouses, um, they go to a lot of great uh, lengths because if one if one of the products is uh, d- has a problem, they're going to pull all the products off mm-hmm. the shelf, and that cost them a million dollars. So, right. it's 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 rigorous quality control from that standpoint Beautiful. here. 
Eric, I so much appreciate the education. I've learned an incredible amount, and hopefully our listeners and viewers uh, will get the same out of it. And uh, good luck with your, your cannabis practice, and keep up the great work, and keep on providing evidence so that we can help our patients. Thank you, Mike, and for everything you do and allow me the opportunity uh, to be here, and I'm happy to come back anytime you want to talk uh, any more uh, about this. Good work, my friend. Yes. Thanks for joining the MedEvidence Podcast. To learn more, head over to medevidence.com or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform.